Hello, and welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that takes apparently heterosexual films and demonstrates why they are much gayer than they first appear. I'm Haley. I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing a film beloved by the dads of the world and also us. <laughs> 2003 film of Master and Commander. Oh, so good. Um, starring Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany and a host of other dimly recognizable white British guys. And <laughs> directed by our buddy Peter Weir back again in a very tonally different movie. Yes, a friend of the pod, friend of the pod, Peter Weir, um, who also directed Dead Poet Society, our first um, repeat offender director. A man who loves him a all mostly white, homosocial, all-male yes. environment. That was the thing. That was the thing that I was thinking, as you said, totally different. Like, yeah, it's argue it's totally different in arguably every way, except for that it's a world without women. Yeah. <laughs> Entirely. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 it, yeah, there, there's a vibe, but I think there is. It's not. They're both period pieces, but mm-hmm. in completely different, like I mean, yeah. as we talked about with Dead Poet Society, it's sort of temporality feels very irrelevant, whereas Master and Commander is one of those, like, lovingly kind yes. of recreated. Very historically period. rooted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And interestingly, I feel like Master and Commander is, because, I mean, obviously we love Dead Poet Society and we loved talking about it, but I think that we also understand that it is a much more, it's aimed in a much more sort of middle brow kind of cultural. I think Master and Commander is a better film. Yeah as a piece of film and it's really good i hadn't watched it in really years. good this is probably like a great moment to just warn the listener that we are like unaccountably excited to talk about this movie we it was it like and we're both like oh my gosh i wish we were recording today like i'm so psyched literally we watched it on sunday and this is friday and every day this week we've exchanged like <laughs> at least one message that's been like how excited are you to talk about master and commit we're, we're and setting like, expectations too high now no 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 it's it's more of like a what kind of nerd slash what kind of gay are we that all week we've been like you know what i'm obsessed with that really like tense subdued film about the navy <laughs> man it's you know what really gets me going napoleonic war i think i mean there's a lot of jokes to be made about like Mm -hmm. navy and like the historical navy in particular Mm -hmm. um which you know i guess we'll refrain from but i mean there is (laughs) as with dead poet society you know it's that same milieu of like well there's only men here and all those feelings have to go somewhere Mm -hmm. um But just to cover a little bit more about the film very quickly, it was Mm. nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars and lost in almost every category to another favorite (laughs) film of mine, The Return of the King. Um, I think in another year, you know, it would have done really well. But unfortunately, that was the year when they were like, well, I guess we finally need to let this massive film series win something. And so they gave everything to Return of the King. Yeah. I love that movie too. So well-deserved. Um... So this is, a, this is a disclaimer I feel we have to give, even though I'm not sure if anyone listening to the podcast will care, but I know such mm. people exist in the world. Right. This movie is based on a book series by Patrick right. O'Brien. I um, have tried to read some of them. You have not read any of them. I have not read any of them. It is, I, do you ever have those books where like no matter how many times you try to read them, you can retain nothing? 
Yes. Like that is my attempt to read these books. I've read the first book in the series at least three times and I could tell you nothing about it. Yeah. 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 So I have never really made it into the series. I am aware, however, that the film is a source of great frustration to fans of the book series because... Really? Well, it's the Paul Bettany, the Stephen Maturing character in particular, mm-hmm. is very, like, Hollywoodified and is, like, the very handsome young Paul Bettany instead of this sort of, right. like, old, slightly, like, drug-addicted uh, <laughs> man. We love. Which uh, we love. I feel like the book series is is the proper beloved by dads. I think of it as consumed by dads and dads alone. Um, I mean, I think much like the movie, dads and yeah. uh, lesbians. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so like, I just feel like disclaimer in advance, neither of us know yeah. much about the book series. I'm sorry that you probably hate this movie because you love the series, um, but we're going to talk about the movie. Okay. A- apologies, and I can make no claims about the gayness, particularly of the series right yes no we're talking we about ignorance there yeah sorry and then I, so the last thing i just wanted to share was i rented this on itunes um and here is the description that accompanies the fi- the like film rating little you know it's like the little box of like the rating and then why it's in this case rated 13 plus it's like the common sense rating rankings and it says 13 plus Intense battle scenes and a strong story of friendship. So, <laughs> please explain what my face is doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I mean, gaping. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely gaping. It was. It you was know, like you a know how when you jaw drop. You know when you have to rate something thirteen plus because of strong friendship undertones. The strong story of friendship is just too strong for twelve-year-olds and younger to. Twelve-year-olds and younger could never understand the strength of this friendship. They can't if you handle know it. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so okay. that just delighted me. Um, the story of the friendship is just so strong. Um, which feels like a good segue into giving a quick summary of mm. said strong story of friendship. Mm. Uh, with a little... Uh, an attempt at a plot summary because this is a movie where both a lot happens and very little happens. Like on the one hand, the plot summary we could give is like, there is a ship, it is the Napoleonic Wars, they're at sea, they're attempting to follow orders to chase down like a French Mm -hmm. ship that they're supposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, stop from doing bad things. And after a series of kind of misadventures and obstacles, they eventually finally do that. Right, exactly. Like the only, like the two sentence, both macro and micro plot summary is like a story of two ships passing in the fog and the the grand will they, won't they go to the Galapagos. Yeah, basically. (laughs) That's That's it. I mean, yeah, it's almost easy. It's a really, like, it's a really episodic film Mm -hmm. and that makes it hard. It's like about just like life on this ship and the stuff that happens. And really the only kind of like consistent through line is... Mm-hmm. Captain Jack Aubrey, played by Russell Crowe, has orders to chase down a French ship, the Acheron. They c- encounter it multiple times, but it's bigger, faster, stronger. They can't figure out how they're ever going to sort of like catch it, much less fight it. Because right. the couple times that they encounter it, they come off very much the worst of the two. Mm-hmm. Until at last, um, he comes up with like a brilliant scheme 
with the kind of inadvertent house style like help of you know like in house like Wilson yes. would always tell an anecdote that's like yes. totally irrelevant and then house would be like that's the answer that's to the it. disease yeah um, yeah always you know yeah so with <laughs> with the house assist from his buddy slash ship's doctor Stephen Matron I actually don't know how to say that last name and never have so we're just gonna call him Stephen yeah Stephen um <laughs> our friend Stephen our, our buddy Stephen Steven, played you by our other buddy Paul Bettany that's right Paul um yeah it's they uh defeat the ship and it ends on like a little bit of a cliffhanger implying that maybe there was an idea that there would be a sequel right which I'm actually surprised there wasn't because it did quite well at least like critically um right maybe not financially yeah or maybe everyone was just busy Maybe everyone was busy. I always, I guess because I never read the books, I always took the cliffhanger as the sort of, the sort of like off from this adventure into the next kind of, this must be where you have to pause in the story of the novels, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it works. It doesn't feel like a cliffhanger in a like, oh, there was clearly meant to be a sequel that was never made. It just feels a little bit like, and life in the Navy goes on. Right. It doesn't feel unsatisfying, but it feels open-ended in a kind of intriguing way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I guess since we usually give away the endings, it ends with them realizing that they've like captured the Acheron, sent it off under the command of one of the like junior lieutenants. Like everyone's very proud of him. And then they realize that though they were told the captain of that ship was killed, he is still alive and pretending to be their ship's doctor, clearly suggesting that he's probably going to try and mount a coup of some kind right, and seize right. control of the ship. So they have to race off after. Resume chase. Yeah, exactly. After they've like stood down, they have to race after it. Right. Which once more spurs a sort of like what becomes a primary subplot, but enters into the film very late, which is that Stephen wants to go. He's, he's like ridiculously overqualified. This is like one of the weird little things from the books that like doesn't quite ever really get explained in the movie. It's just sort of referenced and present, which is like, he's ridiculously overqualified to be a ship's doctor. He's like an actual surgeon and a naturalist and like incredibly educated and smart. Um, So why is he here? So why is he here? (laughs) We'll get into that. Um, And he wants to go to the Galapagos. Like when the opportunity, they're in the area, the opportunity arises and his desire to go to the Galapagos and collect specimens that he can like sort of be the first British naturalist to Mm -hmm. discover, quote unquote, um, Mm -hmm. is continually thwarted by the demands of the Navy. Yeah. And then some various, there's like a subplot of this young midshipman named Blakeney who like in the early stages loses an arm and kind of is mentored in different ways by both mm-hmm. Jack and Stephen. Mm, um, yes. There's sort of conflict amongst the crew who are sort of like end up blaming another older midshipman. He becomes like the scapegoat for the kind of run of bad luck that they mm-hmm. go on with like being becalmed and all these other things. And then he mm-hmm. kind of suffers a psychological breakdown as a result of their bullying and um kills himself another peter weir trope he's loving it yeah hollem yeah hollem is a sad story we'll go into that and then and then there's like there's other sort of incidents of like the you know there's the pair there's the pair of friends who are both like regular sailors not officers and in the middle of a crazy storm because it's a movie about ships so you have to have at least one crazy storm and it's like very crazy um one of them gets swept out to sea it's like a chase in a storm it's which happens a couple times in this movie which is really insane and one of them gets they're like established as good friends these two sailors and one of them gets thrown overboard and uh 
the he's what he's hanging on to is wreckage that is holding the ship in place and they need to be moving faster in order to stay safe and also continue the chase and so there's this dreadful like he's like quite far out holding onto a rope the guy who's who's overboard and um russell crowe makes the friend which is quite sad um be the one to hack the rope to free the wreckage that the friend is kind of clinging to and he drowns in a storm within sight of the ship that he's supposed to be on, which would be like potentially the worst way to die. And the friend is like brokenhearted and that's very sad. So there's like a few of those kind of, you know, like personal stories that intersect with the larger kind of picture. Yeah. And then there's like a crisis in the 11th hour, which we'll go into where Stephen is accidentally shot. Um, oh, and- Yes has to perform surgery on himself because he doesn't, with good reason, trust the, like, assistant doctor. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... it's we're, we're, we've sort of had to give a kind of unconventional plot summary because it's not... It's a lot less linear. I mean, it's yeah. super linear, but, like, it's way more episodic than yeah. other movies that we've talked about in a way that, like, I actually usually don't like very much. And so I was surprised by mm-hmm. re-watching it, like, mm-hmm. how much I love watching this movie. Me too. Me too. You know, that's that's part of the really, really sick thing about this whole conversation is that we started the movie by being like, fascinating how this is like the greatest movie and literally nothing happens. And then by the time it was over, I was like, I would watch it again now. At the beginning, we were both like, oh no, it's really long. And then by the end, we were like... I was like, let's do it again. What again. time is that to time? It's yeah. so good. It's um, the best. This is just, we're actually not going to talk about how it's gay. We're just going to obliquely refer to how great it is for an hour. Go watch it. Watch it. No, it's great. I mean, and I think so, I think a place to begin is like mm-hmm. something that we both alluded to in this plot summary and like before, which is like, you know, you can make these jokes about the Navy. You can make these jokes that we have made every episode about the sort of like inherent question mark queerness mm-hmm. of these all male environments and that's always right. the joke it's like you know oh well you gotta have sex with someone yeah um vibes but it definitely is a movie because of its setting that has a lot of sort of like pockets of mm-hmm. intense kind of queer vibey to various degrees like relationships like you have the two friends who um you know the one the one who gets swept overboard and like there's this really like horrible sequence kind of after he's died where like or I mean like we don't even see him die we just see him get swept into the waves no he's still alive which is even yeah. worse it is um, worse <laughs> and then his buddy is sort of like back on the ship crying like packing up his box of you know his trunk of belongings and he sort of pulls out this like silhouette of him mm. of the guy Worley who's like been swept overboard and is just sort of like holding this like you know equivalent of like a picture of him mm. just like sitting crying and um yeah I mean there's just something about like the intensity of the relationships that necessarily like just like in Dead Poets Society that sort of like necessarily form in yeah. these places mm-hmm. and then also something in the sort of really because like what the plot that sort of coalesces around the midshipman Hollum who ends up um committing suicide is the sort of rigidity of the structures that have to be maintained to kind Mm -hmm. of like almost like to counteract that potential for intense intimacy especially between officers and um common sailors 
Yeah. Yeah. The Holland thing is really sad. And it's, it's one of probably the more like, it's a memorable sequence in the movie. And so I, it feels important to touch it kind of early on in the sense that like, he's a very sweet, very kind of delicate actor. He's really lovely. I know I've seen him before and I can't remember where from, but it's a really nice performance. And all of the other midshipmen who are like, you know, established in the same rank as him are played by like literal children like that's it's a position for 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 officers whose parents have bought them commissions like what that's what that commission that's what that position is in the navy and like you know it's like a starting place from which you were definitely supposed to grow and like rise in the ranks and so the other midshipmen are like 13 15 and it's referenced in the movie that Hollem this this guy is like 30 years old and Russell Crowe at one point is like you're too old to be a midshipman like you know like get your shit together basically and the sequence of bad luck that he kicks off is that the very first thing that happens in the movie is he happens to be the one on a watch when they spot the Acheron, what turns out to be the Acheron, off in the mists. And he sees what looks like a shape in the fog and can't decide whether to like rouse everybody and like beat to quarters and get everybody ready to like fight it. And somebody else, one of it's the young like, guys. Yeah, it's Calamy, this sort Calamy, of like, there's yeah. sort of three main midshipmen. There's yeah. um, Blakeney, the youngest, who loses an arm. Calamy, who's like the middle one, who's like a little older than, he's like in age as well. He's the middle yeah. one. He's like in his late teens. Yeah. And is very competent. And he's the one yes. who sort of makes the call over right. the head of this much older Hollem. Yeah, because he just can't do it. And so that turns out to be, basically they're, they're being like haunted by this much faster, gnarlier ship is kind of the beginning of this run of bad luck that includes like, you know, getting snuck up uh, getting snuck up on by it again and like losing people and like well, and storms this, and then doldrums and like yeah. and this incident where Worley is knocked overboard he's up in the rigging and then right. the mast breaks and like he falls on the mast into the water and right, right before that happens Hollem has begun climbing the mast to try and like help him with like yeah. the tangled bit of rigging that he's working on and doesn't get up yeah. there right exactly so it's just like this continual failure and so the crew starts you know, the crew starts making that a thing. And that's the, yeah, in a really sad way. And he keeps entering like rooms and like, you know, sort of like bunks where people are whispering about him and then they fall silent when he enters. And it's very, very sad. And then, yeah, eventually he, he, he kills himself in a really dreadful way. It's like a really moving moment where he's having a word with the super young um, midshipman who loses the arm. And he's like, you've always been very kind to me. And then there's sort of a pause and he picks up a cannonball and jumps with it. Yeah, into the which ocean. Is, which is super intense. Yeah, but it's like this whole sort of like arc that's haunted by, yeah, this combination of a sense of like being a late bloomer in a yeah. way that like their system of order is not equipped to cope with. Like, because, right. you know, when you you have to take a test to pass from midshipman to lieutenant. And it's like, so what happens if you can't pass the test? Like, yeah. where do you go? What are you, what are you supposed to be and do when you've yeah. outgrown one role, but are not apparently can't. prepared for or allowed mm -hmm. into the next. And like, he can't calibrate his relationship with the other like sailors properly. He can't like, yeah. he, he sort of gets this talking to from, Captain Aubrey where he's like you're not their friend like you can't try to be friendly with them and there's this really yeah. weird scene early on where all the men are on deck singing and he joins in the song oh, glad you and that. 
they all stop singing when he starts singing and he sort of like valiantly soldiers through the verse like yay we're singing and like clearly the soldier the sol- I can't even say soldiers the sailors yeah. are all like mm, no and then they start a different song yeah and he has and this really beautiful tenor too he has like a lovely voice Jack and Stephen are watching him and Stephen says what a wonderfully true voice Mr. Hollum has and Jack's sort of like yeah 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 I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that you know he his arc plays out kind of in the first half of the movie and I feel like an, an emphasis of it is that he isn't masculine enough to be in the navy he's not strong enough either emotionally or kind of physically yeah 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 Yeah. and just sort of of character you know the whole thing of like the entire fate of the crew of this whole ship rests on whether or not he makes this call in the very beginning about are we gonna is that a thing like are we gonna respond as if this is shape is a threat or is it nothing and he doesn't trust himself and then the younger midshipman has to make the call and then they end up, it's good that they do because it does end up being something, but he wasn't like, he didn't trust himself enough to do it. And then that's just it, you know? And it just sort of, he's doomed from that moment. Yeah. It makes me a yeah. question more I wanted to ask you, which is like sort of a mean one to spring on you. So I won't, <laughs> I'll sort of answer it myself because it's funny thinking about no, it. Go ahead. The question I wanted to ask is like, we can't really summarize the plot in a linear way. So then you sort of ask like, what is this movie about? And that was something I'd never really thought about before because I was just sort of watched it and took it in and like enjoyed experiencing it. And watching it this time through, like I feel like on some level, you know, it's about like what will you give to this Mm. entity that is the Navy? Like what, Mm -hmm. what, how much of yourself can you and will you sort of like feed into this mill? Mm. Um, And yeah, I think that in light of that, he's, yeah, this sort of case study of someone who like... Mm either can't give enough or doesn't have enough to give yeah and it's not really clear which it is god yeah that's true because it does start with the little midshipman you know like physically losing a limb because it's broken and it'll fester if they don't amputate it because you know um conditions and it's like you know also he's like a prodigiously talented tiny actor and so there's this whole scene where like they do the Stephen the doctor performs this amputation and like speaking of giving things you know mm-hmm. he like loses the limb in the beginning of the movie and he's like 12 years old and is, the actor is was like, also literally like 13 yeah and it's just like it's the the it's really interesting that the sort of standard of courage in this story is set by this by the smallest member of the main cast you know what i yeah. mean right at the beginning of sort of like if this kid can do it what's wrong with you which is then reinforced you know? to sort of like in this really sort of like touching like awkwardly british mentorly moment when oh, he's yeah. like recovering from the amputation oh, this um Jack gives him a book about Lord Nelson and is like, mm-hmm. oh, you should read, and like, he's like, will you tell me about him? And he's like, well, you should just read the book. And we see him open to the sort of like frontispiece and it's a, you know, mm-hmm. etching of Nelson who also was missing an arm. Right. And so right. you sort of recognize it as this gesture of like, you are, you have what Nelson had. Right. Know, yeah. And this thing of one. like, you'll be okay. Like, you know, you can still grow up to be a hero. Or with even, only, I think, you know, like a destiny thing, like just thinking yeah. of ideas of like, if that's the benchmark, it's like, yeah. not only do you both lose arms, like mm-hmm. that is proof that you have whatever spirit, because there's these totally sort of recurring references to Nelson and over a yeah. couple different like dinners, they kind of like talk about like who knew him, who's met him, what is yes. he like? Yeah. 
he's this sort of spirit of like ideal navy mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. man that haunts yeah, totally. the movie and there yeah, yeah it is this moment of like you have that. You Conference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it really is. And it's very early in the movie. And it really sort of earmarks the kid as like an important presence and he continues to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, also, I'm sure we'll get into it when we start to talk about Stephen in a minute. But um, he also, it's that kid is sort of like the the kind of chosen mentee by both Jack and Stephen, mm-hmm. because he also turns out to be a like preternaturally gifted, like baby scientist. Yeah, or at least he's like, you know, he's like interested, but he like, you know, but he like does the sketches and stuff later of like the turtles or whatever. And like, is very sweet and kind. So anyways, it's like this whole, this whole thread of there's this child who like absolutely fits into this environment and like is very brave and is like destined to rise. And then the other kid who starts the movie by making the call that Hollem can't make. And then you have this kind of, you know, this like late blooming yeah cursed right which is like I mean and like whenever you're into that kind of like temporal weirdness of like not hitting life's benchmarks in the right way at the right time and having no clearly defined social role because you haven't done the things a man of your age is supposed to have done you're like getting into like pretty queer territory and that's pretty queer also if you have on top of that a beautiful singing voice (laughs) You and know, other men of you for no apparent reason. Yeah, um, there you go. That's it. That's gay. Yeah, no, but um, I mean, it's 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 not the sort of main thrust, I think, of what we wanted to talk about with this movie. No. But it feels worth mentioning because it is just Absolutely. like another sort of like pocket of yeah uh, queerness that's sort yes. of just like floating around in on the boat, floating around as indeed we all are on a ship called the Surprise. The Surprise. Um, yes. So shall we, Jack and Steven? Yeah, let's move into, I mean, so you, so you said something a moment ago when I, we were plot summarizing, which is, sure. why is Steven here? And I yep. gather that there are like other answers to this question in the books, but as mentioned, we're not going into that. And in the context of the movie, the, the only explanation for why Steven, who is, as I've said, wildly overqualified <laughs> for the job that he has, yep. it's the Navy, like, mentioned several times that, like, he is Irish in a way that makes you feel mm-hmm. kind of hates England as well. Yeah. Um, it's not patriotism. It's not patriotism. It's really it's not. Not enjoying life at sea. It is nope. not. It, it, like, there's the only, like, explanation for why he is here is because he is, like, Jack's army wife and has to Deeply. follow Yeah. It's, like, very, very married to Lucky yeah. Jack Opry, Russell yeah. Crowe. Lucky Jack, but it is like there is just no his only sort of like anchoring in this world is his relationship with Jack, and like no other explanation is given for why this man who seems to hate every single aspect of this life is here yep. putting up with this. Yeah, and he's just off in the corner eye rolling in like a really great way, almost all the time as well. Also, like, can I can I introduce the thread of the Please. music? Because oh okay. sure. Because here's the thing, one of the things they do together, besides have like ethical debates at critical moments in the only two scenes in like the film, and also besides just like show up and eye roll at whatever like bullshit story Jack is telling at dinner, which is what Stephen's, one of Stephen's primary functions. (laughs) um, One of the other things about this relationship is that Stephen plays the cello 
and Jack plays the violin. And most evenings, they retire to the to Jack's cabin and play string duets together while drinking by candlelight. Often, you know, there's just like all of these shots of them like framed by his like captain's window, you know, like from outside by candlelight playing string duets, which then underscore most of the film. So yeah, I know. Like, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go for it. No, no. I mean, I will continue to return to that sort of thematically and be really annoying about it throughout this conversation because it's so interesting to me. But when we were going through it a second ago and we're like, why is he here? You know, or like, it's, it's, that is such an intimate framing and it recurs in really critical moments throughout the movie. And like, it's where they have their most like intimate marital conversations as well. And it's like a source of sort of amusement slash bemusement to the other officers and crew members and stuff of like, there's that one mumbly butler guy who constantly complains about it. Killick. Yeah, he's like scrape scrape scratch scratch like yeah yeah it's just like tolerated by others but it's really important to the movie yeah and it's actually really interesting in light of what we were just saying of like if this is a movie that is sort of if not itself like really utilitarian in its worldview is sort of like depicting an institution that demands everything of you yeah. And so then to sort of pair that with what is ultimately like an extremely frivolous and inessential mm-hmm. relationship at the very core of the movie. Yep. Like yep. there are sort of no one is, none of the other kind of senior officers are particularly well drawn. There's this other sort of no. like junior lieutenant named Pullings who uh, is clearly Tom. like Tom, who's Love clearly him. like uh, him and Jack sort of came up together through the ranks. And at the end, he's the one who gets sent off on the Acheron who they kind of, have to go rescue mm-hmm. in some way and like he's the right. one who like if you wanted there to be I mean obviously this is partly because this is what the books do but it's like if you wanted it to be a relationship that was rooted in like we are two people who have given our lives to the navy and like that's mm-hmm. the thing that sort of binds us like that's right. the relationship that you would put at the center of the movie but instead it's giving him a relationship to someone who is I mean I guess like you say, they had these ethical debates who, like, it's going to provoke these ethical questions of, like, how much are you giving? How much yeah. I'm not willing to really give anything? And right. So yeah. Yeah, he hates the, he hates the baby and yes. arguably isn't committed to England even as a thing. So, like, it's really, really interesting because that's, you know, I don't know. It's the subtitle of this movie, I think, because it's the subtitle of one of the of the first novel. It's called Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. And Which also makes me, is another further evidence in favor of there maybe being a franchise in the planning that never happened. Right, because it has the subtitle that I assume comes from the books. It and does. you know what's interesting about that is that obviously we mentioned the Galapagos because they are skirting South America for most of the movie. And you find out at one critical point point that Jack's orders were only to follow the Acheron to Brazil and not past it and that he's exceeded them and they're going further and further south Mm -hmm. and it's an interesting like I don't know there's because of that and because they're chasing a friendship and it's a whole thing like I don't know there's something there's something that you feel like is happening about them being crazily far from home on this kind of like foreign adventure and it has a couple of effects because like because this is a you know like I said a a political 
Jack has a couple of moments where he's like, the ship is England. Like, fight for it like it's your home, you know? And it's like this little pocket of their home in the middle of a place that they completely don't, like, understand. And it's this, like, foreign landscape. And then there's something also interesting about that to me, about the kind of... Um, weird domesticity even in the middle of this like grand adventure of him and Stephen having these continual continuing their tradition of doing these duets like after dinner there's something very sort of like um disgusting and colonial and English about it's like that Michelin web sketch where there it's like yes Franklin expedition or something in the Arctic and they're like well, we can't eat like the Christmas goose like yes we're starving but we have to like you know save the truth like it yes. feels very like well even in the midst of you know yeah the dreaded tropics we've still got our yeah. good English music like yeah though there is it is a little bit like you know yeah we're in the middle of fucking nowhere but at least there's Bach you know like right which I mean like then I guess the question is like how effectively is that undermined by Stevens? Mm-hmm overt disdain for the Navy and less overt lack of allegiance in, I mean, he's not, he's not anti-England. He's, he's anti-Bonaparte. He's fighting for England. In the novels, he's a spy. And that's never, there's a couple sort of like almost allusions to that in the movie, but never quite, which like in a bad movie, in the bad version of this movie, that would be the plot. Of course, yeah. Yeah, well, his character, I guess it feels wrapped up in what you said about his character feeling vastly overqualified to do the job he's doing. Like, he's clearly a man of, like, great, you know, sort of, like, training and character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so these debates that they have are more often than not about the, and also, I don't know, I mean, I know we'll get into it in specifics too, but the 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 way that the debates dovetail with their personal intimacy, like it's really, really like the storytelling of it is that Paul Bettany says all the things to, uh, you know, to Jack that um, no one else can say because he's captain and, and he's like, you know, fancy and scary. And, right, because Steven's sort of outside the chain of command because he's not like exactly. employed the, like, I think this was how it worked in actuality. Like the Navy right. didn't fit a doctor into the, a surgeon into the chain of command. Like that was something it was for the officers to sort of bring on board themselves. Right. And if you're outside the chain of command, you're outside the like order that we were kind of breaking down earlier, this system of like, this system of order that keeps it all going, Mm -hmm. you know, which Jack has scenes about when he's speaking to Holland, like that whole thing of like order is necessary or everything will explode in this tiny little world, you know, but yeah, Stephen is like this outlier. So he says all the stuff about like this is personal and it's about your pride and you're going too far and all of that right yeah yeah exactly I mean and I think it's the structure of it's really interesting because for the first I'd go so far as to say half of the movie Mm. maybe a little short of half it feels like the dynamic is going to be like Like, Stephen mm. is just sort of there to be Jack's conscience and the sort of voice as it were of a contemporary viewer who is a little more skeptical of the types of sacrifices that these guys are making and asking each other to make but then once the Galapagos thing is introduced suddenly Stephen gets like thrust into a more of a co-protagonist position totally and the question of the movie kind of shifts to become, in my opinion, like, 
what does it mean? Not no longer is it simply just what will you give to the Navy, but the sort of counterpoint of that is specifically what does it mean to make a promise to somebody? It's specifically what does it mean for Jack and Stephen to make promises to one another? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean the whole that whole arc, that's really succinctly put. But I mean, I feel like that whole arc is like, there is, there is of course, the round one where we're passing the Galapagos the first time. Jack makes this promise to Stephen that he can stop and like, you know, catalog some species and like have a little naturalism moment. And, you know, he's like, Stephen is emotional about that promise. You know, his line at that moment, I think is, he says like, I would like that above all things or something. He's like very emotional about it. And Jack is like, Mm, very well so he's like gonna give him this present and it's like very cute and then for chasing the acheron reasons we can't do it Stephen is super upset and then later the sort of grand romantic gesture of the movie is that later when Stephen gets accidentally shot jack (laughs) which is a whole moment jack brings them back to the galapagos yeah i feel like that's a moment that's worth going into in a little more detail because it is such a sort of explicit contrast to the earlier moment where Mm -hmm. like Stephen is really angry about this whole no we can't stop in the Galapagos situation like Mm -hmm. and I think it's one of the first moments where as even as like a basically pacifist like Mm -hmm. modern viewer you're a little bit like okay man like I get that you're upset but like you do have a job to do out here you are at war um Mm, he's really and like the the thing that he's hammering on is like you made a promise in my eyes he says something like in my eyes a promise is binding he does say that he does say that and then and then jack gets really touchy of course and is you know that's the shouting match where he says we do not have time for your damned hobbies sir yeah and then it's also at the end like they sort of reach this peak of anger and then he sort Mm. of retreats and says like i hate when you speak of the service that way it makes me feel so very low Oh God, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. It's so they're 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 so at the mercy of one another in terms of their sort of like emotional well-being. Like yeah, you, it's true. We've talked a lot about like the different ways that like a lot of these movies feel queer because of how they shorthand intimacy and like kind of imply a depth of a relationship. And like this movie, where we get no backstory, like we don't know anything really about their past. But one no. thing we do know is like they are incredibly important to each other. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and so like that's a way that like that is reflected is like they are so dependent on one another for their like mm-hmm. happiness. Yeah, they really are. But so yeah, so then the contrast with this next moment is like Steven's been shot. He's doing really badly because there's like he basically like, needs to have a surgery and like it's gonna be really difficult to do at sea. Mm. Um because it is moving <laughs> at sea <laughs> on the ground. Um, yeah. And they also have an opportunity, they have a lead about where the Acheron might be. Right. And there's this sort of like deliberation sequence where they're like, you know, what do we do? Like, shall we go to where we are pretty sure the Acheron is? And like, you sort of get this like, Jack mm-hmm. like doesn't have the heart to respond. You like see him like looking at Steven's abandoned cello, like leaned up against his empty The shot chair. of the abandoned cello. I was just like, oh my God, are we doing this? We are. It's, it's and so then we cut to, you know, mm. Steven being brought in a stretcher on shore and everybody coming to shore. And it's very clearly like without Steven, he doesn't have the spirit oh. to... To go on. And there's that really romantic sort of weird moment where they're carrying Stephen on the stretcher onto the like sands 
and he like looks up at him and he says, uh, tell me this isn't on my account. And Jack says, not at all. I just needed to stretch my legs. Yeah. It's what? so English. Like I can't, I can't say that I care about Not at all. I uh, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it's just, like, really structurally weird to me still how, like, yeah. the Galapagos give and take, which becomes, like, the central conflict of the sort of, like, maybe yes. not the last full half of the movie, but, like, just yeah. short of the last half of the movie yeah. kind of just appears at that moment and, like, yeah. is a completely new idea. It's not like that is threat. It's, like, they don't go to the Galapagos at the beginning and thread this kind of give and take of, like, no, when will you let him go? Like, what will you sacrifice for one another, basically? Right. I mean, and it really is, now that I'm putting it like that, it's, it really is the sort of, like, Navy wife who's like, I've sacrificed my career for you, Jack. Like, it really is. It really is. And then, of course, he makes the, you know, because it gets, it gets woven in with, with Stephen's criticism of Jack, which is that he's not, because, of course, Jack gets to hide behind the, like, it's my duty, I'm following orders thing. And the thing that really boils their argument to a pitch the first time is Stephen's implication that, like, it's not for the orders, it's just about him. It's just, like, a personal pissing match, and he's actually being really selfish and, like, costing people's lives and also breaking promises to him, and that he's, like, basically being, like, really prideful and, like, a bag of dicks about it and, like, not being ethical at all. And, um, and that, like, touches him really deeply. Yeah. So it's like the, the, it's a bunch of different kinds of sort of restitution at once when he honors the promise in the end. It's like, it's also sort of a commitment, I feel like, to sort of like, you know, I take your point as well as I want to give you this thing. It feels like a, you're right kind of yeah. moment. Yeah. Cause it's also, cause like one of the other, some of the other debates they have are about like, you're pushing mm -hmm. the crew too hard. Like, yep. you can't like, you shouldn't let them drink so much and like all these other things. And yeah, you get to the Galapagos. It's like, you see them like playing cricket and like drinking this like really clear, lovely, like water that they're like squeezing out of cacti. And like, mm. it feels like a sort of release for everyone by yeah. that point. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a break in the kind of single-mindedness of the chase, because that's the thread of the whole movie is like, we start with the reveal of this like mythic ghosty antagonist ship. And then the whole thing is a pull through. It's like a chase through. And the Paul Bettany, you know, the, the Stephen force is like, the chase isn't everything though. Slow down. Like don't, not at the expensive people slow down. You right, know. I mean, and that's that. Yeah, which like brings us back to this question of like, what will you give to the navy? Yes. To the edifice yeah. that is the navy? How much of it will you allow yeah. that edifice? How much of yourself will you allow that edifice to like eat? Consume. How many yeah. other, as a captain? How many other people will you feed to that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's very like I don't know, and it's it's interesting because the intimacy is also really tied up in these ethical debates. Like you know, it's like in one of the first ones of those where it sort of shifts and we get first names, mm -hmm. you know, because only in the kind of privacy of their relationship, which exists outside that like hierarchical thing of the navy, do we get first names? I was really shocked. I'm always really attuned to when people shift into first names in that type of story, and like. It feels very, like, now that we're just having a drink and playing a duet and the door is closed, Stephen, like, you know, the shift feels really deliberate and then that's what they do when they're, um, that's what, when they're arguing about what sort of course to take. It's a very kind of first namey moment. And yeah, I don't know. It's just really, really interesting. That sense that, that Stephen is outside of everything. So he can say all of this stuff and it's super intimate. And yet the power dynamic is still always in play. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. in a weird way, it's like a version of the con dynamic we talked about in the Road to El Dorado episode of like, they have a sort of, because he is the like person who's outside the chain of command, it's like they're allowed yeah. to have a type of relationship that no one else is allowed to have with Jack. And yes, Stephen doesn't seem interested in having with anyone else. Yeah, that's totally true. So they're sort of like, there's something in the kind of the, the, yeah, the intimacy of having a relationship that is incomparable to the kind of relationship you're capable of having with anybody else in the area, which I guess reminds me of the con thing in the same way. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing a con together, like only you two know the truth about each other. Right, exactly. And it, mm-hmm. th- I think that's sort of, yeah, only they kind of know the truth. There's this, you know, like they have the classic moment where he's like, you know, am I talking to you as my captain or as my friend? Of course, yeah. And no one else is allowed to ask that question. No. Yeah, that moment is really intense. There's that, you know, he like, he, because of course a couple of times Jack does pull the, he does like pull rank, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because obviously ultimately the decision is his own and Paul Bettany can only sort of influence him for good, but has no actual power. And so when he sort of steps outside the, the chain of command in a really gnarly way, like it, you know, there's that moment where, where Stephen is making a really, some sort of really touchy point. And Jack says, you know, you, Stephen, you forget yourself. And then he like shouts at him, no, Jack, you forget yourself. Yeah. And it's so the, intense. Galapagos, I think it is. Which is the yeah. sort of thing. I mean, cause they have other fights, but that's the only one where they're like shouting at each other. Yeah. And that's the only one where you really feel, um, well, again, it's like Steven's whole, I mean, it is the classic duo of a type that we have seen over and over again, where you have the cerebral one and you have mm-hmm. the sort of charismatic mm-hmm. emotional one. And Steven <laughs> is generally, like, even when he's sort of exasperated, it's like he's yes. very collected and sort yes. of like, he often seems sort of like confused and like bemused by the sort of navy things that are happening around him. But like, he's not... Yeah. It's sort of only in that first argument about the Galapagos that he seems, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that Stephen has, I mean, that uh, Jack has broken a promise to him really yeah. seems to like touch something in him deeply and emotionally. Like he's yeah, not, he's angry and sort of devastated. Yeah, he is. He is, he is. I think it's, is it him who, I'm looking at my notes from that conversation and is it him who says, shall I leave until you're in a more harmonious frame of mind at the end of that? Or is that Jack? That's a different conversation. Is it? Because it's one, that's one where they're sort of beginning to play. And then it's like, oh, well, if you're, it's like a pun about music. Uh, Yes, of course. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's very like Galapagos one begins more in media res where he sort of is bursting into like Jack's quarters and is like, what the fuck? Yeah, what have you done? He's in his yeah. little like outfit. He's like put on his special naturalist outfit with this weird like a looking jacket and like comes in, like throws down his straw hat and he's like, I got dressed for this. Yeah, it's that. genuinely, it's genuinely one of the funniest moments in the film. Jack like, is like, okay, on deck, like watching them pull away from the island in his little outfit, and you're like, yeah, oh. and he's like, what, and then runs back. <laughs> yeah, it's like he put on his sunscreen and everything. I know, God, it's funny, but yeah, I mean, the sort that whole, as I said in the beginning, you know, the kind of ah, the classic will they, won't they story of will you take your boyfriend to the Galapagos or not? You know. To look at a bird and some iguanas who swim. It's just like the 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 devastation of the first 
arc of it is really real. And then the sort of romance by turn of the coming back around to it is really real. Cause it's like, you know, it's intense. It is intense. And actually like an idea that has just occurred to me as we're talking is like the movie stages a bunch of pairs of men, mm-hmm. none of whom are quite as sort of like gay feeling as Jack and Steven who are finding that buddy intimacy in fellow sailors and all of them end badly. Yes. You have, so you have the two guys who the one gets swept overboard and that's really sad. And then you sort of have this relationship between Blakeney and Calumny, Calumny, the two midshipmen. And they sort of have this lovely kind of, when it seems like Blakeney might die at the beginning because he's, you know, feverish because of his infected arm, like Calumny's there and talking about like what, Blakeney's like, you know, when they like sew me into my hammock and like when I die kind of vibes. And then they sort of have this farewell when like Calumny has been made an acting lieutenant as the sort of like last gesture before he gets to like lead some soldiers to board the Acheron. And then um, Calumny dies in that battle. And it's sort of all of the other, it's like all of the other kind of like outlets. And then you have poor Mm. Hallam who's like trying to find sort of friendship amongst the sailors. And that's like framed as this like futile and even destructive effort for his like mental well-being. And so I'm not quite sure like what I'm circling around here, but like that the only place within this sort of like grinding machine of the Navy that you can find the kind of like you can't find that companionship within it because you always have to be willing to sacrifice the people around you and have mm-hmm. them be sacrificed and sort of only Stephen is like safe from that because he's outside it and will not will not sacrifice himself and as we see gets very angry when asked to be sacrificed yeah yeah, that's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. Mm, yeah, the fact that mm, I'm digesting that. I think that's really smart, is that there is so much pairing. And because everybody else is committed to the Navy, they get sort of churned up by it and none of the other things get to last, except for this one where the critical partnership is with someone who is sort of outside the ecosystem of it. Yeah, and, yeah. and united by, as we were saying, this sort of like frivolous, unnecessary thing of like music, yeah. chatting, you know, by candlelight in... Yeah, actual and actual intimacy that is about being people, not about the sort of, you know, yeah, I mean, order, we even, world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we even see it, like, there's this sort of, like, secondary senior officer whose name I can't remember because they barely say it, who, like, seems like, in the sort of, like, trifecta of, like, people who are in charge, it feels like it's mm. Aubrey, this mm-hmm. guy, and Pullings. Yes. And, like, that guy gets killed in the final battle with the Akron. Yeah. It's like shot in the head. It's very horrible. The, the slightly, the older guy, gray wig. Yeah. 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 He's like the sailing master, I think. He's great. Yeah, he is. Um, and yeah. And so it's like that sort of like guy that you could turn to is killed. And then he sort mm-hmm. of sends pullings away and like we're left in this uncertainty of like, is this mm-hmm. French captain going to rise up? Like is pullings going to get killed? Like it's yeah. like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even like his fellow senior officers kind of aren't safe from this threat of like you will you have to sort of give a, give up and give away. Yeah, the total uncertainty of the life. That and well, that's why. Um, I mean, that's why the the thing that feels so kind of moving and and makes the open endedness feel a certain way to me about the ending is that when we do finally get to the end, even like when we're going after the Acheron final time or whatever, like the, the last thing is them playing 
duets again together, like in the room, you know, like the last scene. Well, it's they're playing, they're playing, but the ship is beating to quarters. So you're hearing right, at the same time music, but you're seeing this sort of like dissonantly mm-hmm. chaotic mm-hmm. and kind of that's what I love running about around it. and putting on their things and you right. know, firing their guns and stuff. Right. That's what I love about it is that even in the center of chaos, which like, as you say, life in the Navy goes on like that thing of like this battle, this chase, whatever it is, never ending. We're going to keep going. Even in the center of that, this little like, you know, intimacy sort of flourishes on. It's a really interesting. I mean, my main point about the cello violin stuff, which I became very obsessed with as soon as it began to happen in the movie, because I was like, oh my God, I forgot how this works. Because it's not just about the scenes that they're shown doing that in. It's about the fact that a ton of the movie is then scored by solo cello violin. Right, like, and like they're implied to be playing. Yes, and so emotional moments are scored by those voices, and it, may, it means that they're on screen together even when they aren't on screen together. It's fascinating as a stylistic choice. It's like, frankly, great directing. I was just like, Peter, where? Like, it's really, it's really beautiful. And it like, also those are really human sounding instruments. Like, you know, we have a lot of gut feelings about cello and violin sort of for a reason, you know? And those sort of intertwined voices carry you through the movie. It's really interesting. And so the sort of like modulations of like when those, when that scoring becomes melancholy versus when that scoring becomes weirdly cheerful, like the final sequence is even, even as we're like sailing off into more battle and like total uncertainty and everyone still might die. The, the scoring is this very upbeat, like strumming moment of both the cello and the violin and it's very like jaunty and sort of like we are returned to harmony well because yeah that's what i was just about to say about the ending is like it ends Mm. with them achieving this equilibrium because jack is rewarded for prioritizing (laughs) steven because Mm. while they're on the galapagos steven spots the acheron which they think they've lost the trail of and then he sees it and then it's steven like shows him a stick insect and he's like oh my gosh we'll camouflage ourselves as a whaler and that's that's how they manage to like get the jump on it so it's like that's right the sort of moral reward for finally Mm. choosing steven over the navy is to get to win at last and then in the final scene they have these like parallel, they both, it's like this thing where Steven sort of inadvertently reveals this thing about like, no, 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 they don't have a doctor, like he died. I don't know mm-hmm. how he found that out, I guess just talking to the sailors yeah. and that's how Jack works out that this is the captain who was lying about You're the captain right. that's, dead. That's three for three, Steven, in the final third of like, if we hadn't gone to the Galapagos, he wouldn't have spotted the ship. If he hadn't found the stick insect, he wouldn't have had the idea. If he hadn't gone over to the ship to talk to the wounded or whatever the hell, we wouldn't have found out that the doctor's not the doctor. Yeah. You're so right. That's brilliant. And it's actually this really, I think it's, I found it so funny where it's like Jack's response is just get really mad. He like throws down like a cloth and is like, God fucking damn it. Like, yeah, he's so bad. And it's as so he does it, Stephen goes, ah, like putting <laughs> it together. But then he, Jack gets this exactly identical moment when like mm-hmm. Stephen's sort of watching him prepare and like he's like ordered the other like lieutenant like beat to quarters and then like Jack sort of sees him, I think like looking at the map of the Galapagos realizing like, okay, so this is, dream is getting deferred again. again. And then Jack goes, ah, <laughs> in exactly the same way. But now it's like they have, because as you uh-huh. say, they've like achieved this equilibrium. Harmony. And, yeah, yeah. You know, Stephen's like, 
kind of ruefully, mm-hmm. but not as angrily mm-hmm. as before is like, right. you know, I get it. Concedes. This is what it's like to be a Navy wife, Stephen. You knew when you married me. <laughs> yeah, um, but it is. It's like by sort of because Jack made the sacrifice before, mm-hmm. Stephen yes. is now sort of able to understand that like, mm-hmm. it's not personal, basically. No. No, no. Well, and, and now it's not empty. It's not, it's not a promise that's never been fulfilled. You know, it's like, it's not just a deferred forever because you'll be less important forever. Now he's like, now not only has he been given part of what he wanted, he's like involved. It's very interesting, you know? Yeah. yeah. When it is a sort of like when the chips were down, when it was life Mm -hmm. and death, Mm -hmm. even wasn't asking for it. Right. He went back for him. him. Exactly. So I don't know, as we always say, it's, it's a very structural, it's intimacy that drives the plot. It's intimacy that saves the plot. Mm-hmm. And also it's mad gay vibes throughout. It's it also is. intimacy that drives the score. So it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and as you said, there's just like all these moments where like, yeah, it's, you know, the way that, the way that Stephen rolls his eyes at Jack's like bad jokes at dinner. Like it's all just really... We may have to do gay. We may have to do a gay vibes tour because there are some that are too good to miss. Okay, well, why don't you, let's let's do it. Kick us off. Let's do let's do gay vibes tour. Um, okay, gay well, vibes tour of the Galapagos. <laughs> Just literally sign up now. We are going on a cruise. Um, gay vibes tour of the Galapagos. Um, yeah, there's that that scene. One of the dinners really early because part of what the movie's establishing early on is that Stephen doesn't know or care that much about the Navy himself. Yeah. There's that thing where when they're talking about the Acheron and they're like, damn, that ship is good. She's bigger. She's faster. She's stronger, whatever. Um, They're chasing after it. And Stephen basically is like, why would you chase after it? It's a much better ship and we're going to get obliterated. Well, no, he he says, says, he's like, he's like, Mm-hmm. that's what sort of the other men are saying. And like Stephen clearly trying to like draw the correct conclusions is like, so you would say that our ship is an aged, aged man of war. An aged man of war. In that's comparison right. then, to this newer, better ship. Right. And then they all react in like horror and personal offense. And it's like very clearly the wrong thing to say. And then Jack in my favorite, one of my favorite moments, looks at him like personally affronted and says, would you call me an aged man of war, doctor? <laughs> And then he's, and then he like very, he like compares himself to the ship because they've been together forever. Like he's been on the ship since he was a kid, basically. And he says, talking about the ship, which he has just compared to himself, he says, very fast, if well handled. (laughs) It knocked me out. I was like, Russell. It's very, yeah, yeah. And then like Steven's just like got his usual expression of like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) honey, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very fast, if well handled, uh, the title of this episode. Um, right, which is then, like, very shortly <laughs> followed um, by the first duet scene where, uh, yeah. um, uh, oh my god, even starts playing something, and then it's like, or are you in the mood for something more aggressive? He says that. It's so gay! It's really flirty. Or, or are you in the mood for something more aggressive, dear? Um, yeah, that's very intense. The weevil, the weevil sequence is like (laughs) beyond the pale. Ridiculous. It's just such a good movie, guys. You guys! Yeah, he just like makes horrible puns about weevils at dinner and Steven's just like, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, it's so good! It's so 
Um, but yeah, oh my God, like. I mean, it's just like, it's the thing of like, it's two people who, I mean, I think because they are significantly, well, I guess the, with the exception, I guess, of Sherlock Holmes, they're significantly older yes. than any of the sort of like pairs that we've talked about. It's much more the sense yeah. of like, a married couple who knows exactly the ways to needle each other. And totally. like, even when they're having these ethical debates, you get the sense that like Stephen, <clears throat> who is with respect for Jack's tactical genius, much smarter, yeah. <laughs> knows what to say to like really get at Jack. And there's like times when he gets mean. Yeah, he does. He does. He does. Which is why moments like Jack saying, I, I, I hate when you insult the surface in this way. It makes me feel so very low. Or it's like, damn, it really hits him. It really hits. It's very intense. But some of the intimacy is so like one moment that really, really knocked me down is when Stephen is performing surgery on himself after having been shot in a very stupid moment where an officer is trying to shoot a bird and then turns the wrong way. He's literally trying to like, look, they're like, look, a bird. And he's like crazy. And then shoots Steven in the side. And you're just like, really, my dude? But um, then because he's the only competent doctor, et cetera. Yeah. When he's performing surgery on himself, someone's like holding up a mirror so he can see his own wound. He asks someone to pull back his own rib. It's horrifying. It's so gross. Yeah. But like before that, it's like, they're sort of got him set up in the tent and Jack's yes. like, so I'll just go then. Bye. And Stephen's like, oh, please. And he's like, oh, yeah, oh, he, oh, 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 oh. he asks him to stay. And then what's so brilliant about that sequence is that incredibly badass Stephen Paul Bettany is doing surgery on himself while absolutely white in the face and in like a like intense sweat. And then in the middle of this like horrible pain, Jack is going like, a little bit green and like in the middle of performing surgery on himself jack looks like he might be ill and stephen turns around and says um like are you all right like he asks jack if he's all right and then he's like <laughs> and like nods like grimly and then Steve well, he keeps sort of does it, like he's like he's like i'm gonna puke but i'll try to smile like yep, 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 all good all fine fine here yeah and it is so funny it's, I mean, there's a little bit of irony in it. Like, I there think is. you can see that, like, all three of the, because it's like, there's Jack, there's this sort of semi-incompetent ship doctor, and then there's this sort of, like, <laughs> steward-servant guy who's, like, holding right. the mirror, and, like, all right. of them seem to be having a harder time with this than Steven. Than him, yeah, and he's so badass. It's just, like, oh, my God, there's so, like, there's that moment, because when we finally get into the battle with the Acheron, when we really finally get in close quarters at the very end, Stephen also fights, which he hasn't done in any of the other moments because he's been tending to the wounded, and so he, like, sword fights, and there's a very sort of, um, there's a very, like, interesting respect nod that Russell Crowe gives him out in the middle of that sword fight when Stephen's doing, like, very brisk combat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? It's, like, very good. Again, it's like in the sort of worst version of the movie, you would like unpack yeah. that. And it is one of those yeah. weird things where it's like, I assume it's a reference to like skills that he has in the books or something. But it is this mm-hmm. like, there is this undercurrent of like, mm-hmm. there's more to Steven than we yeah. know. And maybe yeah, than sure. Jack knows, but the film sure. never really kind of cracks that egg. No, it doesn't. But he's just such a like sort of sardonic and interesting presence at the same time as offering all of the most like sound ethical arguments, you know, Mm -hmm. like like you say, he's sort of the conscience, but at the same time, he's also such a sass attack. There's that moment early on where he walks into some conversation after they've like, they've just, I forget if it's a joke or if it's like a real thing, 
but that moment when he walks in and he starts the conversation by saying they laugh and then he says clearly something nautical and fascinating just happened and yeah. it's just yeah, like, like the a beginning full of the eye roll yeah 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 but it's, like, I mean, it's like, yeah, he's ethical but again it's like he's mean so, like there's this yeah, scene yeah, like, be calmed and he's just like i can't fucking take any more of this like no one can take any more of this and jack is like i'm sorry what are you asking me to do that's right that's right do anything yeah yeah he says i can harness the wind but i'm not its goddamn creator <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. it's just, like, he gets, he gets kind of stroppy and, like, he does. petulant a lot as well. It's not, like, a very, it's not a clean cut, like, this is the man who's the conscience, and this no. is the sort of brash, you know, all in on the Navy, kind of blindly patriotic one. It's, like, they both have their, Stephen's a dick. Stephen's a brat. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious, which is why that kind of resolution at the very end of, you know, because this thing, the thing that Jack said, one of the things that Jack returns to in the big argument to hide behind of sort of like, I didn't break my promise, it's not my fault. He says, subject to the requirements of the service. That's like his sort of party line all the time. And then at the very end, in that kind of awe moment where Stephen puts together that they're not going to go back to the Galapagos, but it's sort of okay because we've made, uh, made up the balance. Um, Stephen says, subject to the requirements of the service. And then yeah. Jack says, Stephen, the bird's flightless. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is, I mean, it's funny, it's like, it's sort of, that is the asterisk to any promise that Jack yes. ever makes. Subject to their very, Like, the this is my mm -hmm. pineup. Kind yes. Of and I think that that moment is sort of like, Stephen accepting, like, I now yes. understand in a way I didn't before and can accept in a way that I didn't before Oof. the enduring presence of this asterisk to anything you say to me and, like, it's okay. I get it. Yeah. I accept yeah. you now. I mean, it really is. It's like, mm -hmm. I couldn't, I didn't accept you in your totality before because I didn't understand this essential thing about you. And I didn't understand yes. what this subject to the requirements of the service idea meant. And now in yes. some way by the end, he gets it, or at least in Jack can accept it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely it. Yeah. So that thing of, mm, yeah, that orbiting of what will you give to the service? It's like, Russell Crowe sort of learns, like, Jack learns that the lesson of, like, sometimes you have to give something somewhere else. Yeah. And then it ends up paying off. And then, you know, Stephen makes the, like, the, the complimentary realization slash sacrifice of if you get things, sometimes you also have to, like, you know, it's a mutual acceptance kind yeah. of thing. I mean, essentially, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I wonder what, I guess... I don't even know if for Steven it's so much about the exchange, it's just as much mm -hmm. really about like this mm -hmm. is who Jack is. Yes. And part of loving him for that lack yes. of that word. Basically, yes. Because I think that is the only word for it. Yeah, I think so. It's really, it's like even more pointed than I remembered when we went back to watch it. Mm -hmm. I was like, because I remembered it, but my God, when you really, when you really comb through it from this lens, it's makes itself incredibly clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's funny because there's this one, literally one moment where Jack is looking at, like, a picture of a woman. Yeah, I think we're meant to think is his, I mean, presumably his wife, his sweetheart or something. And then there's, like, yeah. one other moment where they're, like, stopping on some island and there's all mm. these, like, girls kind of, like, flirting with the sailor. a girl in a boat, yeah. Yeah, and her and Jack have this kind of moment of eye contact and then he sort of, like, smiles politely and looks away. yeah. But, yeah. I mean, there's something in this idea of, like, 
in the same way that Hollem is displaced in the Navy and he mm-hmm. can't fit the sort of like shape of what you need to be to like be a man in this space and like yeah. that is sort of there's something queer in his sort of dislocation yeah there's also something really queer in the way that like Jack and Stephen have found the one space where their love for each other mm-hmm. is something like even though Stephen is also sort of on the outside he's like on the outside in a way that can fit into this yes. ordered world and like this is a world where like you don't have to sacrifice yourself for whoever that nameless woman that we mm-hmm. see a portrait of for one second is she right. doesn't matter no the fact that the only people you care about are each other is perfectly mm-hmm. acceptable in this place that you have found right and like that's right. sort of why from Steven's perspective, I guess, I hadn't thought of this and now I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking of it. It's like, mm-hmm. that's why you put up with all this bullshit about the Navy because that's yes. where this relationship is allowed to exist Oof. in this form. Ooh, and that is gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a brilliant way to tie it together, I think. It's just that like the essential gay thing about it is, of, yeah, of course you put up with all of it. And that's why the arc is about finding that balance and like finding that acceptance of like, if this is what it means for this relationship to continue, then as long as we've solved that, we can sail ahead into sort of anything. Like that's like, as long as that thing has been unraveled, then we can go forward. And that's sort of why it's not really a cliffhanger because- Right, exactly. This, the, relation, the central question that matters is not really will they catch the Acheron. Nope. It's what will become of Jack and Steven. And now yes. they have sort of overcome the most mm-hmm. potentially destructive question in their relationship, which is like, will the Navy itself sort of break right. them apart? Right, right. Which is why we're sailing off to battle. Everything is still uncertain. We're beating to quarters, but it's unequivocally a happy ending. Because of the music, yeah. Because of the music. Yeah, because it's-, it's the jauntiest piece of scoring in the whole film. It's wild. It's a wild it sequence. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's no sense even, it's not even a sense of particular dread for, like, you're you're like, nope. oh no, like, what's happening to poor Tom and, like, what's nope. going on the other ship? But yeah, the vibe is very much, like, all that's left that you could possibly cover in another movie is plot. Yep. The themes and the emotional core of the problems have been solved. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. And that's really gay. That's super gay, y'all. That's all there is to say about mm-hmm. that, except for if you haven't watched Master and Commander, it's such a good movie. We implore you to. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this nautical adventure. If you'd like mm. to listen to our previous episodes, including The Road to El Dorado and Sherlock Holmes, which we mentioned, and Dead Poet Society, of course, Uh, You can check out our back episodes on whichever purveyor of podcasts you prefer. You can also find us on Instagram. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. At This Movie is Gay podcast. And we'll see you soon. Goodbye.